Hello, welcome to the podcast. Why is the skin brown? Black daddy. Who is Christopher Columbus? What happened? What is Juneteenth? So all police back. What does freedom mean? Hi, Gracie. Hey, Emma. Welcome to Freedom Means. Freedom Means is a podcast hosted by me, a black woman, storyteller, and mother, Grace Aldridge. And me, a white preschool teacher, Emma Redden. We use this as a public praxis space to model what conversations related to racism and colonialism could sound like with young children. Historically, this work has been unequally distributed to many black and brown people who talk about race with their children in the hopes of keeping them more safe. We want to support that work and encourage white adults to take greater responsibility in a multiracial movement to identify and disrupt the racist stories that are entrenched in our collective imaginations from early childhood. So before we begin role-playing, we'd love you to introduce yourself. While the podcast is in English, if you have a first language or an ancestral language you would like to introduce yourself in, we would love that too. Well, I, I wish that I had a, I could speak my language, but I'm just English. So uh, my name is Dave Robertson, and I am an author. I live in Winnipeg in Treaty 1 territory, uh, and uh, my background is Cree. So uh, my home community is Norway House Cree Nation, which is on Treaty 5 territory. Thank you so much. We are just so grateful to have you. Um, so now we'll shift into role playing. So in this scene, Dave is playing himself as a grown up, and Grace is playing a child. And we'll ask Dave a kind of general question about his childhood, and Dave will respond in language he would use to talk to a young child. And in this scene, I will also be a child who may ask a question as well. Were you a kid? I was a kid a long time ago, a long time ago. But um, yeah, it was, uh, I, was, I was definitely a kid at some point. Yeah, did you, did you have a beard? I did not have a beard when I was a kid. I grew, started growing a beard when I got a little bit older. Did you have friends when you were a kid? I had some friends. Um, I had friends at school and on, on little te- sports teams that I played for. Um, sometimes I didn't have as many friends as I wanted to have because um, kids treated me differently because I looked different from them. What made you look different? Well, because I'm indigenous, like I'm, my background is Cree, um, my skin is darker than a lot of kids, especially in the school that I went to. Uh, and so because my skin was darker, kids sometimes um, treated me differently. And sometimes they even made fun of me because of it. Yeah, that doesn't feel good. What did you do when they made fun of you? Well, at first, I was really upset. And um, I would run away from them. Um, and then eventually, I decided that I wanted to tell an adult what was happening. And so I went and told uh, my my parents. Uh, and that helped a little bit um, because I felt like I had someone there who could support me. Yeah. What does Cree mean? Being Cree is 
like being First Nations. And that is one of the many Indigenous cultures in Canada. So there is people who are Cree, there is people who are Ojibwe or Anishinaabe, there are people who are Métis or Dene or Dakota. There are so many across Canada, and I'm really proud to be one of them. We learned at school that Indigenous people lived on the land a long time. We did. Um, in my family's history, my grandparents lived on the land on what's called a trap line. That's where they used to hunt animals and fish and make a living. Um, and my dad grew up on a trap line. And a lot of Indigenous people today still live on the land. When you go out on the, on the water around my community, you see a lot of cabins that are still, um, people still live in them. And so it's, it's a way that a lot of people live today even. Do you go there too? I didn't until I was a little bit older, but I went there about four years ago for the first time. And I was really happy that I went because my dad, he was able to teach me about his life when he was a little boy living out there on the trap line. And then the next year I went, I went out with my own family and I taught them what my dad had taught me. And that was really special for me to be able to do that with my own kids. Why was your skin darker than your friends? Well, uh, some Indigenous people have darker skin, some don't. Um, but for me, I had darker skin, especially in the summer. My skin got really dark. And when I went to some places, um, like where my grandparents used to live on my mom's side, there were not a lot of people who had dark skin like me. And so because I looked different than them, they liked to tease me because of it. How come their skin was different? Well, some people just have different cultures that are in their backgrounds, in their histories. Um, and so there are people who are, um, because of their background, they look like they have lighter skin. Um, some people have um, brown skin. Some people have darker skin. Some people have different hair because of the different cultures that they're from. Um, and I think for me, the important thing is that you really feel proud about who you are, no matter how you look, and that you also accept other people, even though they might look different from you. And I wish that the kids who tease me thought that way. But I try to talk to kids about that today uh, and hopefully um, make sure that kids treat each other really well, no matter how they look. Like Jay-Z, one take. <laughs> <laughs> so every time Grace and I role play, we sort of prompt each other just, yeah, curious about sort of a brief reflection of how did it, how did it feel? What, how do you feel like it went? Um, yeah, so just curious, any thoughts? This is obviously sort of like a new, as you said, this isn't necessarily like how most interviews go. I'm just curious to sort of your experience of, of it. Well, I thought it was really nice to be able to do it in that way. Um, it's, it's important for kids to hear those things. And I do a lot of public speaking. Uh, I do a lot of classroom visits. I speak to a lot of young kids. And sometimes those questions come up. And so I think it's good practice for me to think about the words I'm using and, and how kids might understand what I'm trying to tell them. And, um, and hopefully, you know, when, when, when teachers or parents, um, you know, hear me speak, 
uh, in whatever context. I mean, maybe it might help them a little bit, you know, with with ways that they can talk to their own kids about the same sort of topics, even if they're they don't struggle with those things. Um, you know, being maybe a kid from like a dominant culture, um, you know, thinking about the way that we talk to kids who look different, and and it really to me, it's all about making sure kids respect each other. Is there a common question that you get a lot that isn't that we didn't ask, or is there is there a question that was asked that felt really really hard to answer? No, I think I get the questions enough that it didn't really feel that hard to answer. I mean, I guess it's hard in a way because I think about my own kids and just trying to prepare them for the inevitable comments that they'll receive at some point in their lives, especially the kids that have a little bit darker skin than the other kids. Uh, I have five of them, so I have a wide range of appearances. Most of them are darker, though. Um, And so in that way, it's hard just because you want your kids to not have to deal with those things. But you, at the same time, you know that they will. So, at some point, so that I think that's really the, where the difficulty is. Um, but for me, I talk about it enough that um, it's not topic isn't that difficult, if that makes sense. Yeah, it makes so much sense. Um, you're, I know you've written many books. The one that lives closest to my heart is called When We Were Alone, and it's about family and resilience and memory, and also really directly about colonization and residential schools. So I'm curious, why have you made the decision to tell young children the truth? Well, I think kids need to hear it, Um, and they need to hear it in a way that is non-threatening, that is not traumatic, that uh, really thinks more about empathy than it does about talking about the really hard parts of history because there's a scale, you know. So with young kids, you start with a, with a foundation that really is based on, you know, respect, identity, um, more the principles of the system when it comes to residential schools. And then when they get a little older, um, because you've laid that foundation, it's easier to build on it and build towards talking about the more difficult things with that history. But for a kid, it's not about um, scaring them. It's about just um, making them aware of what happened in a way that's age appropriate. And so when I wrote When We Were Alone, I thought more about positive positivity amidst those difficulties um, and anchoring it with um, resilience and, and reclamation. Um, so th- that's really important for kids. So you always want to frame it within a positive context with children. Um, and I think in that way, you get you, they get a lot more out of it too. And um, the thing to keep in mind though, is that kids are really ready to hear these things. Oftentimes when we're hesitant, it's because we're not ready to hear these things. So I think as adults, you know, we need to learn so that we can prepare our kids because our kids are ready. Um, they have books that we never had. And that's why I write the books today is because I recognize that when I was younger, When We Were Alone would have never been published when I was a kid. I I didn't know anything about residential schools all the way through high school. So now um, I I write books like this because kids are learning these things and teachers need support, parents need support, and stories are a really powerful way to give them that support. 
I'm wondering, um, what was it like when you first did hear about them, and how do you think it would have been different if you, for you, and in, in understanding your own identity, if you'd heard about it when you were younger? Well, you know, it was really shocking for me when I when I learned about them, and that's the thing is it really shouldn't have been, you know, it shouldn't have been questioning whether or not something like that, like that could even happen in Canada, you know, that we would do that to children. Uh, I was in my mid twenties probably when I learned about residential schools for the first time. I took a Native history course in university. I never learned about residential schools, so it's you know that's it's baffling now to think back that that could happen, but it did. So, you know, if I had learned about it younger, I would have been able to make those connections and um, learned about learned about it in a in a safer way, um, where it wouldn't be a disbelief because you don't want that reaction. You want that acceptance. Uh, and you really get there by easing your way into it. And, and like I said before, like building that foundation of knowledge um, so that when you learn about the really difficult things, which I learned about first, it's not jarring, you know? And, and so I think when you do that, you are able to retain and learn more in a safer environment. So, you know, and, and also, my grandmother was a residential school survivor, so not knowing that history, not knowing what she went through, not knowing that the impacts that might have had on me, um, all of that I was in the dark for. So um, it would have changed quite significantly. Now, at the same time, you can't change anything. We, you know, we, we can't time travel. So um, I've also learned not to regret what has happened. But I think it's for me, it's like making sure that those things aren't, those mistakes aren't uh, replicated uh, for kids today. Yeah. Thank you. What would you want um, non Indigenous people to know? If there's, you know, there's one thing that you could prioritize, like, I really wish I could communicate this to non Indigenous people. What would you like to do? And I ask that because it's been asked of me in area. Um, talks about race where I'm with a mostly white audience and sometimes I have people come up to me like what can I do and you know sometimes on one-on-one it is very it's not always as easy to convey that to be able to be more candid um, when there's an, a more anonymous audience well the first thing that you the best thing that you can do is learn first you know you you have to learn the history in whatever way you do that I I my opinion is learning from stories is the most effective way, especially for kids. So my hope is that first of all, kids learn the history. There's no excuse not to know it anymore. There are a lot of books out there that teach it for all age levels. Um, And I think also um, when you think about this concept of reconciliation, if you want to call it that, it's really a process of learning. It's, It's seeking to understand each other through story through that kind of pursuit of truth. When we do that, it, it, it inevitably, it, it builds respect for each other. The more we understand each other, the more we respect each other. And meaningful action, it really comes from knowledge, right? So we can't really blindly act uh, or take part in reconciliation if we don't know why we're doing it. So you have to learn first. And then when you learn, then meaningful action follows. And so the, the baseline for me is always to read, 
always to learn. Uh, and then from there, you can do some, you know, really good things. And I think the, the final thing is to recognize that this is not exclusively Indigenous history. It's Canadian history. And because of that, as Canadians, we have a responsibility because it's a part of our, it's part of what makes us who we are for better or worse. And so because it's a part of all of our histories in some way, shape or form, we all have some kind of responsibility to figure out what our role is in this process of reconciliation. So I think that's what I, what I would like to, to say to, to parents, teachers, kids. Thank you. It reminds me so much of the uh, Ghanaian word Sankofa, the, 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 um, and it means there's a symbol that comes with it of a bird who's reaching back and picking up a stone off of its back, and it's translated to mean um, it is not taboo to go back and mm. retrieve what might be lost. And so, yeah, just that, that connecting those ideas of resilience um, to stories, yeah, it, it connects us, and it, they're also the tools that we need in order to move forward and work our way through the issues that mm. are facing us. So I appreciate that so much for your gifts. you could just share like how people could learn more about you or experience your work i'm not that hard to find so you know if people want to check out my website they can google me and find it pretty quickly it's just darobertson.ca um and if you want to keep up to date on things at a more um immediate level you could follow me on like social media i'm mostly on twitter and instagram so Twitter is just Dave Alex Roberts and Instagram is David Roberts and writer. I'm on Twitter a little bit more than Instagram, but those are the ways you can kind of keep tabs if you want. I try to keep it as up to date as possible. Great. Wonderful. And we're wondering if before we say goodbye to you, if you'd be willing to read a couple pages um, from when we were alone. We've recommended the book on the podcast before, and we'll um, share more about it in the show notes. As I said to you before we were recording, I teach preschool, and yeah, this is one of my most very beloved books to read with my kids, so I'm honored to hear you read it. Yeah, I'll read the first maybe three pages. It's the first section of the book, and this section um, was really inspired by an elder who told me her story. Uh, Betty Ross. And um, when she told me her story, she she switched into colorful robes. And I asked her why she had done that. And she had said because they wouldn't let her wear those colors when she was in school. And that she did now. And so that was that kind of act of reclamation really was one of the things that inspired the book. So I'll read the first three pages here. Today, I helped my cookum in her flower garden. She always wears colorful clothes. It's like she dresses in rainbows. When she bent down to prune some of the flowers, I couldn't even see her because she blended in with them. She was like a chameleon. Newcomb, why do you wear so many colors, I asked. Newcomb said, well, Nusissam, 
When I was your age, at home in my community, my friends and I wore many different colors. But at the school I went to, far away from home, they gave us different clothes to wear. All the children were dressed the same, and our clothes weren't colorful at all. We all mixed together like storm clouds. Why did you have to dress like that? I asked. They didn't like that we wore such beautiful colors, Newcomb said. They wanted us to look like everybody else. But sometimes in the fall, when we were alone, and the leaves had turned to their warm autumn hues, we would roll around on the ground, we would pile the leaves over the clothes they had given us, and we would be colorful again. And this made us happy. Now, Newcomb said, I always wear the most beautiful colors. Thank you so much. <laughs> it's hard, you know, I think that it's a it's a gentle book, but I think but it also within the context of history, mm-hmm. there's a lot of it's a really powerful yeah. book in that way. A lot of people and have that's important too, been so very emotional you. reading it. And I, I get it. I get emotion. I mean, I've read it thousands of times. So, I mean, I'm not desensitized to it, but I've done it enough where I I'm able to <laughs> kind of manage my, you know, my own emotions when I'm reading it. But I definitely still feel it all. So. Yeah, I'm so moved when you, you mentioned this before, and this is something um, I deeply resonate with and agree with in the context of the teaching I do. Like the the refrain of when we were alone, I think like the way you keep coming back to this piece of resistance and resilience through beauty and through love and through relationship and connection and it just I think the book is such an astounding example of like we tell the resistance stories in the same breath we tell the stories of the violence because they're always they are deeply deeply interconnected and we don't ever want to yeah we, we don't ever want to tell one without the other and you're you're talking about framing the positivity and I think there's no honest history of any of the violence that's happened in, in this country, in, in your country and in the world that isn't like just so so deeply entangled with these incredible stories of love and connection and joy and beauty. Um, and yeah, and so I, I just so much appreciate how I think your book is this like incredible sort of like pedagogical tool too, as as well as it's, it's just so moving and beautiful as a, as a real example of like how we can tell a history and hold both things at every moment through that history. So I'm, I'm really grateful for that. Thank you. No, I appreciate that. I feel like in a lot of ways, this book doesn't belong to me anymore. <laughs> and um, and I, I really love that. Like, I love that it's kind of taking on its own life and it really belongs to the community and to survivors. And um, yeah, it's kind of, it was special. Like I wrote it very quickly too, because I feel like I wasn't writing it. I feel like it was the children you know, and I, that was really, when I was finished, I didn't really change much. Like it didn't need much editing, which is very rare. And it just kind of flowed and it never happens like that. So I think there's a lot of things going on with this book that um, kind of go beyond just, I think, rational explanations in a way. Like it's, it just clicked and it was very, very beautiful how it happened that way. But I don't take credit for it. <laughs> Julie Flett is the illustrator and her, the illustrations are just I mean, it's stunningly beautiful too. Mm-hmm. Her work is so, mm-hmm. so incredible. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, when I did On the Trap Line, 
I told my publisher I didn't want to work with anybody but Julie. Yeah. <laughs> so, I, so I, but I, when I, it was such a personal story on the trap line that I really did couldn't think of anybody else I would want to do it. And I actually did, wouldn't have done it if Julie couldn't have done it, I don't think. Mm-hmm. So, um, but she, uh, both times she didn't, she said she was too busy. And then uh, when she read the script, she changed her mind for bo- both of the books. So I was really grateful. But she's a dear friend of mine now. So it's, uh, really grateful to have worked with her. She's so talented. It's really, she's one of the most talented people in Canada, I think. So really lucky to know her. Yeah, we are blessed by her agreeing to <laughs> collaborate too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, the children definitely chose the right channel. So <laughs> appreciate both of you. All right. Yeah, is there anything else, Dave, you want to share with us before we say goodbye? No, I just really appreciate be coming on and you guys are doing such an awesome job and uh, I'm just yeah I'm just really glad I was able to meet you and and to chat with you for a bit we're very very lucky to have you Thank you. <laughs> yeah none of them <laughs> 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 I cried anyway have a good day <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. all right take care Music and sound design for this podcast is done by Echo Finch. We invite you all to be part of these conversations. We welcome feedback, questions, and would love to include moments from your own lives with children that you'd be curious to see us work through in the podcast. Grace and I are community educators and work with groups of teachers, parents, and caregivers. If you're interested in working with us or want to give feedback or scenarios for the podcast, please contact us through our website, thefullstoryschool.org or by sending us an email at thefullstoryschool at gmail.com and lastly as everyone says in their podcasts please rate and review us to help other folks find our work more easily talk to you later Gracie bye Emma Redden What does freedom mean?